This episode is sponsored by Voyager and MyBookie. Stay tuned to hear more about them later in the episode. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Today's guest is the founder and chief design officer of Bitso, the most popular Latin American crypto exchange with over 1 million active users using it to buy, sell, send, and receive crypto. While the big news in the United States is that institutions, corporations, and hedge funds are jumping into the crypto space, Pablo believes that a much more significant trend is driving price and adoption, something which I can't wait to find much, much more about. Pablo uh, Gonzalez, thank you so much for taking the time to, to come on the show. Scott, uh, thank you very much. And uh, it's it's pleasure, real pleasure to, to be here. Well, thank you. So before we get into the questions, once again, this is the Wolf of Wall Street's podcast, where twice a week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. This show is powered by Blockworks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts in their network. You can check them out at blockworksgroup.io. And if you like this podcast, you follow me on Twitter, then please check out my website and join my newsletter. You can do both of those things at thewolfofallstreets.io. So I want to dive right, right into this. As I said in the intro, the big news here in the United States is institutional adoption and investment, companies like PayPal coming into the space, all these things we've been hearing about. But you're seeing a much more promising and important trend in Latin America. Can, can you talk about that? Definitely, Scott. Uh, it's, it's pretty interesting because, I mean, we, we, we've been in crypto, my, my co-founder Ben and I, for a while. And, uh, and we, we've always seen this as an amazing world-changing movement, right? And uh, I remember when we were starting, uh, like before we were starting Bitso, we were both living in Canada. And always the, the, the real, you know, like I, me being Mexican and living abroad for a while, I always thought, uh, you know, like developing countries could use this a lot more. Like I'm in Canada and there's a, like most people are banned, there's an ATM here, there's a, you know, where, where, where Bitcoin today, for example, has a very clear use case as a, like millennials, a millennials bank account, right. uh, like a savings account almost. And, uh, and now it's the, the digital gold value proposition, it's, it's, uh, it seems to be coming a lot more truer now, now that all the institutions are coming and things like that. But always, uh, when, when you look at a place like, uh, let's say, Mexico, for example, six out of 10 Mexicans don't have bank accounts, right? That's They're crazy. completely yep. underserved by the financial system. Uh, and they, they have needs. They have financial needs, such as uh, receiving payments from abroad, making payments, uh, you know, like with, with COVID. And uh, I think uh, workforce is getting a lot more globalized. They also have needs to, to make payments to other places. Uh, we're, we're operating in Latin America and there's uh, countries that have um, weak currencies as well. Like uh, we're in Argentina and there's the Argentine peso, which uh, loses half of its value uh, per year, right? And, and we can go more about the, uh, yeah, a, a little bit more in detail about this. And, uh, and there's hundreds of thousands of families in, in and well, millions of families across Latin America that depend on things like remittances. So when, when you think about uh, like what can uh, something like crypto can do uh, for, for as, as this world-changing uh, movement, uh, to me, it's clear that uh, the, 
the perfect place for this to happen it's in developing countries right where you have this bigger area of, of opportunity uh, it's uh, like when uh, people didn't have a uh, like landlines or didn't have and they just went from no communication to having a smartphone and uh, messaging with with uh, the, you know like doing things from a using right. data. So, so I right. want to dig in deeper. So uh, clearly there's a couple of things, you know, in the United States, we all have the luxury of basically everybody has some sort of bank account. They're not necessarily ideal, but so the, the first issue you touched on is under underbanked or, or unbanked completely six out of 10 in Mexico and Mexico is one of the more developed countries in Latin America. Correct. So, I mean, it's gotta be worse in Venezuela or somewhere that really has these problem. So we have the underbanked issue, which you can talk about more. And then also the hyperinflation issue where currency is basically being devalued so rapidly that the only way to store any value is in crypto and to transact, correct? So can you first talk about the, the problem of banking the underbanked? Correct. So uh, when, when you think about, uh, I mean, yeah, Mexico is a developed country, like right. a more developed country. It's not, not a developed country yet. But uh, still, it has a pretty low level of financial inclusion. Uh, the people that are unbanked or underbanked, it's huge, right? And uh, well, like for example, in Venezuela, a lot of people have bank accounts. Interestingly enough, Interesting. uh, we're we're not operating in Venezuela yet, but uh, but it's pretty interesting because you know from like they they had a a culture of uh, being banked for a while. And now that the Bolivar is completely destroyed, uh, they have a pretty efficient local Bitcoins market because they're using it with these banking transactions uh, because everyone's banked, right? Well, not everyone, but there's a pretty big percentage. Mm -hmm. You see Brazil where has a high percentage of banking, but uh, it's horrible banking in Brazil. There's a massive oligopoly where five banks control most of the market, uh, especially one. They're the most profitable. Like the, the banks were like, the, 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 the jurisdiction where the banks are most profitable, it's in Brazil. Right. Uh, can banks like Santander, who are in the UK or in Spain, and pretty, pretty big economies. Uh, Brazil is pretty much a cash cow, right? Right. And, uh, so corrupt banks are making a ton of money in, in the ways that banks do. <laughs> correct. Like if you want to like get a loan or something like that, you're in the paying 300 and something. Right. Percent. Predatory a loans year. not passing on. Right. Of course. Correct. Not, nothing like what we see in the US or, you know, in Japan. <laughs> it's, it's a very different uh, uh, system. Like it's not necessarily working for, for the people. And... Uh, and, and, and going back to the, to the on-bank, we, we have um, over a million customers, as you mentioned. And a lot of our customers, uh, their first bank account, it's a Bitcoin account. It's a crypto account. So right. they're going from uh, like zero to super-powered money, right? <laughs> and, uh, and one of the things we've done, uh, basically, we, we have three products, Scott. Uh, one is... Uh, uh, easy access to, to crypto with a big focus in payments uh, to enable all these uh, individuals that want to use us to transact. And then another one, it's our exchange, which is called Pizza Alpha, basically like a order book exchange. And then we have a cross-border product that we're working more on the enterprise side. 
and I can talk about that uh, in a second. But on the, you know, on one of our products with a, with a unbanked population, it's very easy to use. And we focus a lot on things that are local, like being able to go to a store and getting cash in. So you go from cash to crypto. And uh, basically, there's these convenience stores, uh, Oxo, there's, they're everywhere in Mexico. So basically, right. you can walk, like any, within walking distance, you can, you can get access to, to crypto. Right. Like seeing a Starbucks in the United States. <laughs> That's how Starbucks is here, Almost. right? 15 Starbucks yeah. on every block in New York. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. And it's interesting because once we see them, uh, like, digitizing their money in a better way, uh, and, and they tend to stay in a, in a digital environment where they can transact everywhere, right? Right. Whether it's with Bitcoin or stable coins or even with Mexican pesos, so uh, so we we've done a lot of things uh, like just going back to to, to what you were saying, uh, because of what we're trying to do, uh, our mission is to make crypto useful for, and and we believe that this will massify right eventually. So we're seeing a lot of uh, like the unbanked early adopters, and more and more this is starting to permeate to their friends and family and things like that. So it's, it's incredibly exciting, uh, this, this case. Where it's just a lot more transparent, it's like no fees, et cetera, et cetera. Right, and here, I mean, I can't speak for other countries, but they, it's basically very prohibitive, the, the laws, especially with regards to taxes, for even trying to use crypto, because every time you spend crypto on a coffee, you're you're selling Bitcoin and it's a taxable transaction, right? So here it's like, it's very, very different. So I see why Americans have this sort of stigma that you buy it as your savings account or a store of value, but it's not money. But you're seeing it in Latin America being used as a superior form of money, especially in a place like Venezuela, like you said, the boulevard is literally worth nothing. You, you know, there's a cap on your earnings. You can't even take it out. You may have a bank account, but you can't take any out, right? I mean, it's like a few dollars a day or a month. Or exactly. Something. Well, you can if you have a bank account. account that has useless money in it that you're not allowed to take out. <laughs> well, you, you have a bank account that has a number whose number is worth nothing five days from today. <laughs> yeah. So, right? So it's right. crazy. It's, uh, but... Uh, yeah, the, the way I see it a little bit, it's almost like, uh, you know, when you have your ski boots on and it's clunky and it's, you cannot really walk and it's, it's hard to move and suddenly you take them out and a world of possibilities uh, like properly unlocks. Uh, that's a little bit of what we're seeing for a lot of people that are getting into crypto. And, and, and going back to the, to the unbanked, uh, it's pretty interesting because it's not only because uh, that banks haven't been doing a good job, I don't think they have, but they also don't want a lot of these customers. So cost a customer acquisition cost for a bank is quite high. Maintaining a customer in a bank because of the way that they're built, uh, there is not necessarily profitable certain amount of customers. Right. And when you have, a, you know, like most Mexicans, that uh, let's say they make on their... $800, $900 a month, then it's not a profitable customer for them. Uh, and then they don't want them. So not only crypto, like there's a big boom on, on, on fintech because of this, uh, because uh, new mechanisms are, are allowing uh, to create financial businesses 
that allow to serve at these lower value customers. Right, say, so it's, right? Not, it's not profitable for the bank to focus on those customers. And those customers, if you have $100 in the bank, you'd have to pay a $20 fee a month to, <laughs> to have a bank account. It's like 20% of, your, of the money that you have, you Correct. have to pay each month to have it. So it's just literally a system that doesn't work for people who are not wealthy. Right. Yes. So, you know, and, and, you know, let's say you're in Brazil, you're in, Argentina, you're in Mexico, and, and you're a super high net worth individual. Yeah, yeah, you have pretty good financial services. That's yeah, fine, of course. Uh, Rich people always you, have good services wherever you, they are. You have a guy that you call uh, that can do things for you, right? But that's not a privilege. It's, it's pretty interesting, Scott. Uh, we, the, the Mexican Stock Exchange has about 280,000 accounts. So this is people or businesses that have stocks or anything more uh, uh, like anything a little bit more uh, advanced than a retirement fund right? <laughs> and type of savings. And, you know, we, we have over a million customers with crypto. Uh, that's because, you know, like if you want to like get some Crazy. stocks in the stock exchange, you know, whether it's in Mexico or the U.S., the barrier of entry is pretty high. You need tens of thousands of pesos and then they're like, give you a shitty service, right? Like they'll be like, eh. Right. Yeah. And then you get, the, then you get yeah. the bottom of the barrel. So you have basically four times as many customers as the Mexican stock exchange, which you think would be like in the United States, that would be obviously the Correct. polar opposite. Um, if you were, if you were comparing the two, that's really interesting. There's four times more people with crypto. Right. With any yeah. Stocks. That's, that's, that's amazing. So you said that you were in Canada when you started, uh, you guys were really, really early, right? Like 2013 or something. <laughs> so, so, you know, most of the exchanges that exist, I think came about, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, okay. 19. Um, so I mean, what, what made you decide at that time, 2013, when this was really a nascent asset, it was just the crazy techies as they saw it, who were interested in it. What made you have the vision to build a business around crypto that early? So uh, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. There's a really, I mean, I discovered Bitcoin in 2011, right? I wish I had. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tried to buy at that time and uh, I sent money to Mount Gox and it, it got lost in limbo, basically yeah. in Swift, Swift limbo, as we call it. Uh, it returned to my bank account two months later. Uh, I didn't know where the money was. At least you got it back. <laughs> then I got the money. I kind of forgot. At least I got it back. Correct. Yeah. I, I lost a little bit of money in Mount Gox, but not much. And then I kind of forgot about buying. And, uh, and I remember, like, it was just pretty interesting at the time to me. Uh, I went down the rabbit hole, as many of us do. Uh, and, uh, and I remember... In 2012, the first time I used it, I sent money to a friend. I was in Vancouver to, to Montreal, Canada. And, uh, and it was just uh, mind-blowing, right? Like, you know, I have been like learning about it, but I, never, I had never used uh, Bitcoin. And there's a quote that I really like that's uh, any sufficiently advanced technology, it's indistinguishable from magic. And for me, it was magic. Like I was teletransporting value from a place to place without going through like. I hate to interrupt. Any, any yeah. I hate to interrupt, but how scary is that first transaction? 
the first time that you send crypto and you put all those letters and numbers in and then you hit send and it's not there right away and you're like, is it gone? Did it come? I, I, I will never... For, I mean, now it's very comfortable. I send money all over the place. But that first time I sent Bitcoin, I was so terrified. It's horrible. It's, <laughs> it's, it's terrifying. And, uh, and, and, and it felt pretty cool to me. Because, I mean, yeah. I'm comfortable with this, but it was pretty, yeah. it was pretty scary. Uh, I agree. It was very little money as well. Yeah. I mean, this is 2012, right? Like it was more like people were just experimenting. It was not about how much it's a Bitcoin. Like, what's the value? What's the price of Bitcoin? It was more about, hey, you can, you can move money. You can move value. And, uh, and you can store value in your computer. I'm like, how, what? Right? Yeah. It was just... So cool. And, and the, the UX for, for uh, using crypto in 2012, it's nothing like today. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, it's, but it was pretty cool. Like, like I, I, I barely understood that first transaction, what was really happening. Right. But I like started looking into it and it was just uh, like, I remember the very first time I was a kid that I used the internet. I, I had the, the luxury to be one of the first people in Mexico to use the internet. Wow. They were connecting it to a university and, and I was there because my dad was giving classes at this university and, and uh, he took me there and I would hang out with the, with the guy that you, uh, led their uh, computer science department. And he was connecting the internet, literally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like the second internet in, in Mexico. And I used it. And even as a kid, I had a feeling of, this is weird, like I can download these like programs, these files and... and uh, and it was clear to me that it was going to be relevant, like as a kid. The only time I've had that feeling in my life was the first time I used crypto, like Bitcoin, uh, that I sent it. So right away, like right then, I was obsessed, like this is, this is going to change. Like uh, the history of mankind will be different after, after this invention, right? And I want to be involved. So... Uh, a friend of mine had also uh, discovered Bitcoin. He, he was actually more into it. And we, we used to make short films together and things like that uh, back in the day. And we would talk about Bitcoin all the time. And we, we started a cooperative in Vancouver called the Bitcoin Cop. We made a point of sale. It was no, not a business, like a BitPay, let's say. Not a yeah. business, it was just to evangelize and we have about 120 merchants in 2013 in Canada wow. using Bitcoin. So wow. we were just, it was awesome, uh, Scott. We were just experimenting and like evangelizing and going to coffee shop and saying like, hey, you accept Visa or MasterCard, you should accept Bitcoin, it's free and et cetera, et cetera, right? So cool. So, so right then, uh, that's when I was saying like, you know, we were doing projects in Canada and I would look back at Mexico and me having experience like sending money abroad. So I was working down there, I went to school there. Uh, it, it was just not efficient. So I always thought like, well, like, like the first time I used Bitcoin, you can tell just for money, whatever. Like it doesn't care about borders, this thing. Why can't you use it for remittances? Which is like a massive, uh, uh, you know, like a source of income. In, Huge in, market. Yeah. For, for many Mexican families. 
huge market. It's the largest corridor used to Mexico. It's over $32 billion a year, I think. Wow. And, uh, and it was like, that's what we set out to do. Uh, ben and I, who's our CTO. And uh, we wanted to like, well, first we said, okay, let's, 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 let's figure out how remittances could work in Mexico. And right away we noticed that we could not really do it if you didn't have a place where you could sell, like buy, sell, store, and send this. Like a place that connected the traditional financial system with this new uh, financial system, like this new digital right. economy. It's one thing we, to be able to send Bitcoin, but if you can't get any, it's kind of a problem. <laughs> this is rich. Like, correct. We, we, we had to like find a way to help people take this keyboards off, right? Right. Yes. Uh, first, for any remittances to work. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and we, we, so we started an exchange, like basically with the, it was a plumbing, the infrastructure. Uh, it, it was clear to us that the real use cases were going to happen in, in, in a place like Latin America that was the best uh, market for, for opportunity on this, uh, in our opinion. I mean, there's some other great markets as well. Like I think there's going to be a pretty big explosion in India. That's my, my, my thesis. Africa, I think Africa, huge, yeah. huge, but Latin America, like the numbers we're seeing, the growth, it's, it's pretty interesting. And yeah, it's, there's some, some speculation as well, like everywhere else, but we're seeing real use cases. Like I mentioned remittances, right? We started to do like, we set out to do like, okay, we're going to do remittances. You can move money. It's super cheap. It's going to be the best use case. And we were pretty naive because there was a lot of things we failed to understand. Uh, we, we failed to understand that, yeah, cost is important, but uh, there was, like, removing friction was even more important. Uh, things like safety, like feeling safe that your funds arrived, right. super important. There's a pretty good, there's a a pretty good study done to a bunch of migrants where they ask in the US, where they ask, hey, sending remittances to Mexico, it's very expensive, expensive, very cheap, cheap, very cheap. They all go for very cheap. So for a lot of people, it's, wow, like, you're, you're giving all this money to my family when, when they're charging them 7% of the transaction. When, when, when what you're really doing, it's debit and a credit, right? Like, it's, it's not... I mean, it's, it's a little bit complex, but it's not rocket science. Like, it shouldn't have these costs. Right. And it's the middleman. Correct. It's always and the middleman. <laughs> the middleman. And they're like, why do you, you do, like, how do you use uh, remittances? And it uh, turns out convenience and speed and uh, convenience and safety are, are top, right? Right. So we've been working on, on enabling the remittance use case since 2014. Uh, figuring it out, right? And it's interesting because only like a year ago, it properly started to take off and it's been growing really fast. Uh, we're doing about 5% of the remittance volume from the US to Mexico. <laughs> and uh, like moving the US dollars to Mexican pesos, that's moving to crypto, right? Today. Uh, through uh, with Ripple and with Bitcoin, that's that's how we're, we're doing it, and it's more. So of not a with, not, not primarily with stable coins. It's primarily with XRP and Bitcoin. XRP and Bitcoin today. XRP yes. is so fast. Yeah, so it's pretty fast, and uh, 
yeah, I mean, it's 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 a pretty good. I mean, I'm. Uh, it's a pretty good coin for 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 fast and cheap payments today. Like for that use case, right? right. The cross border use case, it's pretty good. But uh, but at the end of the day, it's also about liquidity, right? We had to develop the liquidity. We had to like, okay, you have a million dollars that you need to move to Mexican pesos. Can you sell them at a good price, right? So that's taken a while as well. So it's been like moving all sides, but it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, there's people at the rural areas of a state like Oaxaca, which is very rural, that they go to the store, uh, they get their cash, that their uh, like that their son in Sacramento, California sends them, and they don't know they're like using Bitcoin or how it works or is it what's what are the economics of it? How is it? Uh, what's the cryptography? They just know they got more money, that the transaction was more transparent, that it was more safe because the fees are lower, so they were able to to withdraw. Uh, like smaller amount of money, like to send a smaller amount of money more frequently. Like a lot of these people go to the store and they carry out like massive amounts of cash, right? Yeah, huge stacks, right? Of course. So they're, they're terrified. Like, uh, you know, when I said five, six out of 10 Mexicans don't have bank accounts. Right. So how do we yeah, that, the mattress? Right? right. So the question is though, like, okay, so I, you know, I'm in the United States. I, I send Bitcoin or XRP. It arrives at the, uh, at the convenience store and they transfer it to cash and the person who gets the cash, like you said, is not the wiser of the way that it happened. So how do we get to the point where they don't take it out in cash and they just keep the XRP or they keep the Bitcoin or they convert it to a stable coin and they just transact that way and they never carry the cash out in the store. Cause that's what, that, that's, that's when we hit, right? That's when, Correct. that's when it Correct. explodes. I mean, it's, it's interesting, Scott, because we see a little bit of that happening with, uh, the younger generations. Right. So a lot of the people that are sending remittances, like let's say they've been sending remittances for 50 years. So they go to the store and they're like, oh, you're sending money to your, uh, to your daughter. She's going to third of the grade, right? Like she needs uh, clothes books or books or whatever, and right? Of course. And, and they like that, right? They like that way of that relationship. So changing those habits, it's a little difficult. I think it's doable, sure. possible. But what's interesting is that there's younger generations sending cash that tend to uh, do a lot of the education and like evangelizing of like, no, 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 like keep it there. And then you can like spend it from your bit account. And right. And can they like spend that. it in that convenience store? Like that convenience store will give them their cash, but will that convenience sure. store also accept crypto back for goods? Not yet. Uh, right. So that, that's the other, like they'll I keep mean, it in cash if, the, if they could go buy their milk right there with, 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 the, with the crypto, right? I mean, there's some convenience stores where you can spend with sure. crypto like everywhere in the world, but still very niche. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is we, we saw the payments use case like grow a lot in 2016, 2017. Like it was exploding. Suddenly we were getting a ton of new users that we're buying about $30 worth of Bitcoin and we're drawing it to the same place. We're like, what's, what's happening? And turns out that an influencer made a video of how you go to the convenience store and pay for your games uh, using Bitso. So they follow the tutorial of going, converting to Bitcoin, selling the Bitcoin to Steam, 
and, uh, and you save to spend. And it was like, it was like every month that was growing. And it was totally organic. And our, our experience, like user experience, wasn't really built for that. Like we just didn't know. But people and find a way. People find a way. Well, they find a way because they don't have any other alternatives, right? right? So, yeah. yeah. And uh, necessity is the uh, mother of invention, right? Correct. I mean, this is people. They wanna, they wanna buy their game, and they have no ways to buy their game to play with their friends or, like, whatever it is, right? But that that use case kind of collapsed with the whole scaling Bitcoin uh, problems that we had in 2016, 2017. Right. And it was then very expensive to transact in Bitcoin. Yeah. And we suffered it. Like my 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 souls got like that we're trying to make crypto useful. It was just dying a little bit when I right, saw Right, because cheap transactions or free transactions was kind of your pitch, especially for people who want to keep as much of the money as possible. So Correct. Is that where I mean is that, is that where is that where Ripple and stable coins and such came in? I mean or was it just that Bitcoin crashed and became cheap again to send? <laughs> no, I mean, no, no, no. I, I think SegWit helped a lot. Uh, it's, we, we kind of forget, but it, it, yeah, it improved the network. Yeah. Improved the network. And there's been more improvements. Uh, we will be living Lightning Network that it will get a lot more easier and more, more adaptable. But, uh, and I, I do believe there's going to be a, a resurgence of that merchant use case. Yeah, um, I think so too. Hopefully. So one of the things we did is we had a peer-to-peer payment system where you can transact Bitcoin and uh, other cryptos and stable coins very easily with a phone number or an email. So it's almost like a Venmo where you can That's move cool. your pesos, your dollars, your crypto uh, very easily with QR codes for per- merchants or for... Uh, peer-to-peer and we've seen a lot of uh, adoption on that uh, just for the, the cheap payments uh, even though we we haven't fully focused on that it's just very interesting to see that that grow and grow and grow but it's not necessarily a blockchain transaction right which is right. the one that carries the, the fee and that's the goal that we're trying to, to got it Sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto and it's 100% commission free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 40 top crypto assets and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank accounts. So you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they are offering 6.5% interest on Bitcoin and 9.5% on USDC. Yes, you heard that correctly, 9.5% interest. And there are no limits or lockups, so your funds always stay liquid. Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager in the iTunes or Google Play store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. That's scott two five. If you gamble with Bitcoin, you need a sportsbook that doesn't just slap the word crypto on their homepage and call it a day. That's why you need my bookie. They're the only sports book capable of taking your Bitcoin obsession and turning it into huge cash prizes. Do you want 100% bonus on your first three deposits? No deposit fees, huge deposit limits, and withdrawals processed within 24 hours? My bookie's got you covered. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Do you want to know what's really going to piss off all those people who told you to stop talking about Bitcoin 10 years ago? My bookie's crypto rewards program. Receive cash back, free bets, huge bonuses, and exclusive promotions simply for using crypto. One deposit makes you a crypto rewards member for life. That means cash back, exclusive offers, and more forever. 
but we're still not done. My bookie knows that your love of crypto is matched only by your hatred of credit card fees. So they decide to issue back those credit card fees in the form of crypto rewards and they're doubling it. So if you incur $10 in credit card fees, my bookie will offer you a crypto reward of $20. Deposit with Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, or Litecoin with ease and withdraw with Bitcoin just as simply. Put your crypto where your mouth is and sign up at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code SCOTT to receive a 100% bonus on your first three deposits. Bet with the best, bet with MyBookie. So, so you've, you worked on remittances for, you know, seven, six, seven years before it really exploded and became a core part of your successful business. So what else is Bitso now? And then I know you touched on that you're building some uh, cross-border payment solutions um, that, that I know you're excited about. So what are, what are your core businesses at this moment? You have the payments, obviously. You have the exchange. And then you're, what are you building? So we're basically have our Bitso app and that's that's basically like a global bank account. I mean, I know that's a value proposition of, of, of a lot of crypto. Short the banks. No, <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. But, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> the, the big proposal is local access to a global value proposition, right? Right. When I there say you that you're someone from Brazil and you go to a bank like Itaú or one of the big banks and they're like, hmm, you're not trustworthy enough. I'm going to give you your credit at 200% a year because you, you have a good income, right? And that's, that's a fair type of transaction. Uh, insane. That's ridiculous, right? And the problem is that money, like when you look at the financial systems, they're, they're siloed. They're jurisdiction. They're locally based. And, uh, and that's incorrect when we live in a global economy, right? Sure. Why are you, like, why am I on a disadvantage to be successful in life if I was born in uh, Sao Paulo than if I was born in uh, Stockholm, right? If I was born in Stockholm, like, I mean, life is yeah, a lot like, yeah. easier for me. And one of the reasons it's, it's, it's this, it's, it's bringing the access uh, to people to, to, to these global financial services where they can get the same level of opportunities as if you were born in, uh, in Scandinavia, right? Right. And uh, so that's what we're trying to do. It's basically like a global challenger bank, uh, crypto power. Uh, we, we, have a, uh, we give access to stable coins and crypto to, to people and other of these use cases. We're seeing uh, pretty interesting things in Argentina, for example. So in Argentina, 75, I mean, the, the people are used to protecting against the Argentinian peso. This is from years ago. I mean, there's yeah. people uh, our age maybe, or I don't know how old are you, but my I'm age. 40, I'm 44, I'm 44. Okay. That's in the three devaluations. Like their money go to zero during the yeah. lifestyle. Like yeah. that's crazy, right? So I just used to, like, whenever I go to, to, to Argentina, I love talking to people because they tell you, like, how, how they use their money. It's fascinating, right? And they always use the same word that, that it's survival, right? And, uh, like, oh, I do this to survive. And, and, and it's fun. And I'm like, that's weird. 
right? That you have to, but, but they're, they've gotten into this weird world already. Yeah. So basically 75% of the bank accounts in the country empty the day they receive the payroll. So Argentines get their payroll, they make any payments they need to do, like bah, 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 right? Then they empty the, whatever they have on their bank accounts. Then they go to a cueva, which is these like exchange. exchange. Yeah, the exchanges in the streets, yeah, of course. Like, or they have like a, like a US dollar dealer, or everyone has one. Yeah, a guy. Uh, a guy, a guy, they yeah. have a guy, it has a name. And they, they, they call them up and they're like, oh, I need to buy dollars. So they convert their Argentine pesos to dollars. Which you can't do directly. You have to have a guy or do it sort of under the, under the table because there's extreme limits and the exchange rate is far worse if you do it directly through a bank or something. Well, you, you can do it directly up to $200 a month. <laughs> 200, 200 bucks with a worse exchange rate. Yeah. Correct. Whether you're an individual or a business. Yeah. It's ridiculous, right? Yeah, they just don't um, want you coming out of the currency, right? So there's, there's many dollars, like, well, no, the, the actually exchange rate is good because it's a tipo de cambio oficial, so the official exchange rate. And that's a... Uh, All right, they changed that a few years ago though, right? Because I know that there was a time a couple of years ago, I have American friends who are living in Argentina and they would like go find their guy and the exchange rate would be like, you know, one thing at the bank officially, but if they went in the street, it would be like two or three times better, you know? uh, uh, Yeah, that's right. I forgot that they actually regulated that now, right? We could do an entire uh, podcast, Scott, on Argentine USD exchange rates. Yeah, I'm sure. There's a... Bitcoin exchange rate now that people know what it is. There's a thing called Contado con Liqui. There's a thing called the Dollar Blue. There's the official I one, which is not real. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a cheese exchange rate because like cheese exporters, something. So, so Argentines know these things. So they're like okay. very financially sophisticated, right? Like that's a very like a, a big difference from our users, let's say in Mexico. And uh, so, so what they do is they, 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 they empty the accounts, they pay everything in pesos they can, they convert everything to dollars. And the craziest part is that they have their US dollar cash and they go to the bank to deposit in a safety deposit box. It's so they go back to the same bank that they withdrew their money from to find a safe place to put stacks of cash. Correct. You know, so, so there's a crisis there's of, of running out of safety deposit boxes in the country. They're super popular. Wow. I, I lived in Miami for like uh, four years, probably from like 2012 to 2016. And the amount of Argentinian money that was flowing in to buy real estate and just get their money out of the country and into dollars or into some you know, asset in the United States was, I mean, it was absolutely incredible. Right. From South America so, in general, but particularly from Argentina. Correct. So, so, so one of the interesting bits is that now they have a, like most of the, a, most of the growth we're seeing right now in Argentina, like the big growth. And uh, I mean, we're seeing growth in other markets, but the one that's really surprising us, it's in Argentina because now they download their Bitso app, they get their money, they move it to, to their Bitso account very easily. And, uh, and then they just convert it to dollars, uh, to DAI, for example. Uh, our DAI market f- in Argentina, it's, it's super popular. And, uh, and then when they need to spend it, they just 
convert it back whenever they want. So we, we have plans, for example, to, to launch a, you know, a, a card in Argentina where they just spend and the money converts to, to, to Argentine pesos. Right. So well, you, you're holding it in crypto, you swipe your card, you don't know, nobody knows it's a normal credit card transaction or debit correct. card transaction. And you don't, so you don't have to actually cash out of your crypto to, to transact. Exactly. So yeah, you're right. saving US dollars, which interesting enough, like it's not great to save in US dollars this year. Uh, some places it is. It's all relative, right? I mean, I'd rather, you'd rather be in Bitcoin than U.S. dollars, but you'd certainly rather be in U.S. dollars than Argentinian pesos. So, yes. so you know, a U.S. dollar is still a store of value to most of the world. Well, you, 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 you're even probably better off, like, to be in U.S. dollars than Mexican pesos or Brazilian right. rice, which are stronger currencies for Latin America. Uh, but they, they, they devaluate historically. Uh, yeah. I, I remember... Uh, my uh, my sister had a pretty strange uh, uh, sickness when she was a kid, and they couldn't find like a cure for her. Right? Like it was like, what is it? So my parents had to take her to the Boston Children's Hospital. There was a specialist on this, and they took her in, and uh, and it was a time where the Mexican peso just devaluated like crazy. So as they went to the US uh, to treat my sister, they placed a bunch of locks in the financial system. And the money that my parents had, they couldn't, they couldn't pay the hospital, basically. So my, my sister was in the hospital almost dying because they could not pay the hospital because the Mexican peso had devaluated. And right. you could only, spend something like for like $20 or ridiculous amounts, right? So, uh, I mean, fortunately, the doctor ended up paying the bill. It was crazy. And then my, my, my parents figured out a way to pay the doctor, right? But um, I didn't know that story. And then uh, my, my mother told that to me recently. Uh, so I was very young. It's just crazy, right? Like, it's, we forget. Like, oh, okay, oh, the Mexican peso only devaluated at 10% this year. So, okay. No, it's, <laughs> it's your money. It's your, like, you know, like your inflation and your devaluation. It's, 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 it's hitting you on, uh, like, it goes back to the luck of where you were born, right? Of course. Why, why was I unlucky to be born in a country that I have not an ideal currency for me to store my money? So in, in Argentina, the store of value use case, it's, it's pretty big. So, so the people, the people obviously see the store of value use case. In the United States, we have now companies like MicroStrategy, yes. right? Uh, Michael Saylor saying, hey, we're going to put our treasury into Bitcoin because it's not going to devalue as quickly as the dollar, you know, um, which is an obvious move, but the dollar is still pretty strong relative to these other ones. So that said, the people see it, American companies are seeing it even relative to the dollar. Do you think that Latin American governments and companies will, oh, well, maybe they already do, or will invest in Bitcoin as a store of value to sort of fight that, uh, that uh, inevitable inflation? I think... <laughs> I mean, my, I think all central banks will eventually have some Bitcoin. Right. Uh, that's just my, my, my two cents. I mean, they used to have gold, right? And this is a better version. So. <laughs> and they still have some gold. Like, yeah. 
yeah. you know, where the, that they use sometimes to sell a bunch right. of gold or right. you know, to like protect the currency, right? But uh, we were seeing companies, we're seeing uh, like a lot of treasuries coming in and using us to, to uh, so you are seeing, dollars. so you are seeing that you're, you're, you're directly we're, seeing that. We're seeing that in Latin America. Yes. In a few different places. Uh, and these are treasures for companies that are not like, like, for example, we've been seeing like family offices or, you know, uh, funds that come in and, and buy some, Right. but this is now like treasuries from companies that are not, have nothing to do with financial services or crypto right. or, they're just protecting. They just want to protect their cash. I mean, Correct. you know, it's, uh, I mean, but, uh, it seems so inevitable that they're all going to yeah. have to, like, not that they're going to choose to eventually they're just going to have to, because there's nowhere else to put your money. No, and Scott, to my knowledge, I don't know if any governments are, maybe they are, but I have, I don't think so. I don't know. To my knowledge, they're not yet. We don't count right. the petrol, right? <laughs> we do not count the petrol. No, 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 no. Well, what a, what a failed experiment that was. I actually had Gabriel Jimenez early, early on when I started the podcast, who was the guy, the crypto guy kind of behind the petrol. I had him on the podcast. That so was a really uh, incredible story. Did not, go the way that, did not go the way that he foresaw, <laughs> uh, um, obviously. So, I, so I, I was uh, invited to the announcement of the petrol. This is a oh, wow. quick story. They put him on stage. Uh, they took him out of jail and put him on <laughs> stage to pretend that he was uh, supporting it to sign the, the documents. Apparently, that's the story. Wow. It's pretty crazy. No, I got a letter. Like, and it was like around Christmas time. You were invited by the government of uh, Venezuela, by La República, the, the, the government of Venezuela, Republic, blah, 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 uh, to for an initiative around blockchain and stuff, right? Uh, we're inviting the leading companies. And, and it was like December 22nd, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I remember like reading that and showing that to, 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 to the team and being like, no, there's just no way, right? Imagine you get in there and they're like, you know, they sit you with Maduro and they're like, you need to support this. Uh, yeah, like Venezuela for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is scary. So, I mean, so how much, speaking of governments, like obviously the very core of the idea of fiat currency is that it's backed by trust, right? I mean, we used to have money that was backed by gold, or, or now we have money that's backed by trusting your government. So how much of this adoption that you're seeing do you think is a result of distrust of governments in Latin America? Yeah, so something, it's, it's very simple to, to, to place Latin America under the same bucket, but they're all very different countries, right? So you have Brazil where there's, a, you know, five banks that basically dictate fees and things like that. So people are pretty uh, sensitive about this because they say, okay, yeah, we're going to charge this for access to capital and there's nothing that people can do, Right. Right. Uh, and then, you know, that happens with oligopolies. Then you have a place like uh, Argentina, for example, where they, they had this thing called the Corralito. And that's pretty interesting because basically they couldn't access the money in their bank account for a very long time in 2001. And it created this psychological, um, like, it's, 
it's ingrained, like it's in their brains, but on a, on a very deep level right. where, where they don't want like, to minimize yeah. money like in their bank accounts, right? Probably that's why they use these safety deposit boxes that I was telling you, like they prefer yes. to keep the cash because they can withdraw that. And they don't want to have a corralito where they don't have access to their money, basically. Uh, so, so yeah, I think there's a, a distrust more on the banks. Uh, I don't know about the governments. For example, the, the Central Bank of Mexico, it's, it's actually like a pretty efficient institution for Mexico. So uh, they, they do things, they've done things pretty well, you know, like protecting us against uh, the 2008 crisis and things like that. But at the end of the day, uh, yeah, I do believe there's, there's a general mistrust on uh, the banking system and some on the governments. I mean, this is a trend we're seeing worldwide, I guess, right? This, uh, this apathy towards uh, governments. Yeah, and politics so, uh, in general, yeah. Politics and, but it's, it's a little bit more present in, 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 in some of the countries where we're operating just because in a way they, they've been worse to people, right? Of course. Yeah. What's interesting though is now like uh, some of those things that you've seen in these in, in countries and the less developed countries around the world, the monetary policy, central bank policy, the printing and the hyperinflation. I wonder what it's like for people there now to see it happening everywhere. Not that the United States hasn't been printing money for a while, but we've taken it parabolic here, right? So to see it, to see it in places like this, when it seemed like something that was just for smaller countries or other governments, now it's the dollar, right? You're not. A, you, you, yeah, people think their their currency is untouchable, but they're not. They're pretty fragile. Right, and that goes back to your trust of your government to to you know maintain maintain your currency, and to me that I mean. Isn't that such a clear case for Bitcoin? It's a very clear case for Bitcoin. It is. It is. Uh, I mean, it's it's interesting because there's still a lot of uh, there's still a lot of friction with Bitcoin. I don't think we're there as an industry to to reduce some of that friction, right? Uh, and and when you think about who's using Bitcoin today, like while well, we've seen crazy adoption in the past couple of years. Uh, Still, still very, still scary, right? It was yeah. something scary. Uh, uh, like what, one of the, the things we strongly believe in is that uh, cryptocurrency mass adoption is not necessarily a technological challenge. I think the technology works really well. I mean, it's yeah. improving, improving constantly, but it's more of a design challenge of, of like, making then the, the, the capabilities of what this technology can do closer to the needs of people and making it uh, easier for them to, to use. It's like when you, when you send out WhatsApp today, like, or something like that, you don't care, like, you don't care about the TCP or if, yeah. if they encrypt or not. I mean, some people don't care how Facebook would encrypt things, obviously, but people like what they really like care. It's did my message go out? Did they receive it? Did they, are, are they with it? Are they replying back, right? They want to communicate. And, and I think that's, a, that's something that we need, to, we need to do as an industry. Like people need to 
send the payment. Like they need to move money, they need to store money, they need to feel safe. Like these are the things we need to we need to convey to people in a very simple way. So does that happen with Bitcoin or, you know, are there altcoins that, you know, are, are better for some of these, these purposes or is it really all about Bitcoin? I mean, it does happen with Bitcoin because of uh, just the way, the way it's set up and it really bothers me. It's pretty silly, but uh, humans can only really understand two decimal places. Sure. Like properly, like you can only quantify like a cent. Right, yeah. relative. So when someone's transacting with zero point zero 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 one six four, yeah, sats are very complicated. Yes, it's it's very difficult, and sats are complicated. And like I think that's like we see a lot of users uh, coming in and and accessing something else just because it's cheaper, right? Yeah, well, that that was like in 2017. Like they 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 put like Litecoin on on Coinbase. People were like, well, I can't afford a whole Bitcoin. They didn't understand, so they just bought the cheapest thing they could find on Coinbase. <laughs> but it's it's like so, so. There's a lot of education that needs to happen about these type of things, and and even better for me would be to to just. I mean, it's a little bit difficult now, but to agree as an industry on. Uh, like changing like to sats for example right and yeah. uh, but it's it's pretty tough to to come into agreement it but becomes harder as it gets more expensive too because correct. you know so there's these little problems like that and and that that we still need to address as an industry uh, there's things that are much better and easier like we talked about the first transaction towards and how it just becomes second nature like mm-hmm. Once you move, like once you used it, like then never go back. Yeah, never go back. Second nature, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's how can we get people over the hump? Because, like, yeah, the first one's scary, but the second one, you realize it's actually a lot easier, right? It's uh, than sending a an ACA like an ACH in the US. Oh, and putting the worst. The, and, the worst. Right. That's the worst. So. Uh, yeah, so so that's 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 what we're working on, but uh, I think there's still a lot of long ways to go. It's getting better, but not, it's not there yet. Right. So I mean, I, you know, so it's clear Bitcoin's going to be the best store of value. I just wonder if another project that we haven't thought of or will emerge and just kind of blow it out of the water with some of the uh, peer-to-peer aspects or the actual, you know, sending Correct. money. In. Like so, maybe it doesn't have to be every. Maybe it doesn't have to be everything. No, and and you know we're talking about XRP. Like, uh, it's very useful for the cross border use case, right? Like I'm pursuing a Bitcoin guy, but it's actually like very very useful to move between exchanges. To you know, it works, uh, and a lot of the development roadmap has been geared towards that. Yeah, right? that's what it well, is. Bitcoin has been more around security, around like it always works. It's it's awesome, right? But it just has be, has had a different product roadmap, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what it what it is and what the narrative is in five years, and ten years, and fifteen years, and twenty years. What do you think your business looks like in ten years? Uh, we don't exist the way we operate today. So. Uh, 
what I always tell uh, the team is that, uh, I mean, right now we're a centralized exchange. Exactly. Yeah, of course. We interact with, uh, with traditional financial systems. I mean, we're regulated. We're regulated in Europe. We're like Mexico. Getting a PSP license in Argentina. There's a very clear, there's a clear regulatory strategy now in Brazil. So we interact with both worlds, right? So we're custodians. We keep funds of people uh, very safely. And uh, but at the end of the day, I don't think that's going to be the the case for most of these exchanges, right? We're going to move into more of a interface layer, I think, for for the users. So, I mean, hopefully, once we're into 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 crypto, uh, you know, there's no need to connect the traditional financial system because we've all upgraded. So well, your employees yeah. aren't gonna your employees aren't gonna have jobs. <laughs> no, they will. They will. They will. It would just be different, right? It would yeah. just be like like what I say is, we're, if we're successful, we're gonna become necessary, right? Uh, the way we exist today, and we just need to evolve, like. Uh, you know, we, we need to solve the needs, like work on, on solving the needs of people and making crypto useful. And if they find that use for it, then we'll, we'll have, like if we provide value to people, yeah. then, uh, you know, they, they'll be able to, like they'll use us. If we, you know, like right now, the, the biggest value we provide is to uh, give them access to the system. But once everybody has access, then we'll provide a different value, right? Like we're providing other values, like making uh, a lot of these things easier to use. Like for example, uh, the like getting interest on your crypto, like we're working on making it that very, very easy to use, like whether it's on US dollars or Bitcoin. Uh, the payments use case, we've been focusing a lot on, on, on making it easy for, for, for people like, in Latin America, that you use us to, to make payments. And interestingly enough, Scott, we, we, uh, we worked on sending bank transactions uh, really well in Mexico, back at least we started in Mexico. And, uh, and suddenly, we had the best UX to send bank transfers. So a lot of people used us to pay rent, like uh, interesting. bank transfer and things like that, right? And, uh, and we believe on, on on you having like having choice over which currencies you need to you want to where you want to store or you want to spend or what you want to receive so we're still working on that user experience and that's the type of value we want to provide to customers it's so interesting so like now you're you know working on adoption and you're working on connecting people basically to the systems that exist because they still need those systems. So the real goal in 10 years is those systems completely disappear and we just operate inside this ecosystem and therefore the business completely changes. Correct. So cool. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, the other part that's interesting, it's uh, we, we speak a lot about the retail use case, but uh, like another, another thought we have, uh, is that the, the entire FX market will yeah. move into crypto. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, and, and you know, there's currencies like... Uh, Which is the um, biggest traded market. Like, that's the highest volume market there is. And people don't realize yeah. that. But I mean, trading Forex is, yeah, volume it's is huge. incredible. Yeah. And you have a currency like the Mexican peso, which is a highly, highly traded currency, right? So uh, it's pretty interesting, like, how 
the technology that these crypto exchanges are building, it's now better than some of the forex markets. Sure. And uh, you can move the funds real time. You so that's pretty interesting as well. What's happening with? And I, I do believe that forex will eventually be consumed by by crypto. I agree. So where can everybody uh, find you after this? Follow you? Sign up for Bitso? You know, uh, follow Crazy. your progress. So yeah, uh, you can download our app in the iOS store on uh, Google Play. Uh, unfortunately, we cannot service U.S. citizens. Nobody can. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're, you're in New a York. regulated financial institution, but no, nobody can service, service us in crypto. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> but uh, but if you're not from the U.S., uh, you, you can probably service us. And, uh, and Bitso.com, we also produce a lot of educational content that uh, we have a platform called Bitso Edu. And uh, even if you're from the U.S., you can access that. But uh, the, and we can, you can follow us on Twitter at, at Bitso or uh, me personally uh, at Pablo underscore Gonzalez. It's on my name. So, well, in the, in the call, you don't see it. But Pablo underscore Gonzalez uh, or at Bitso. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to do this. I know you're a busy man uh, working on taking over the world with, with uh, Bitcoin and, and crypto. And I, I think it's so important that people understand that this is more than just, you know, a speculative asset or a savings account or even just a store of value that's being used every single day and it's really changing people's lives. No, I appreciate, appreciate the invite. And I will watch that uh, episode from uh, the petrol. Sounds fascinating. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it, that, yeah, that one actually was before we even did video, so you're going to have to actually listen to it. But yeah, it's very, very interesting. Crazy Thank story. Gabriel, Gabriel Jimenez. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you, Scott. Thank you so much. That's dope.